0: Welcome back to the Beyond Macros podcast, a show that teaches you about nutrition, coaching, and the all-important art of inner work. This week's show is a continuation of the theme, how to create a sustainable transformation. And as you might realize by now, this really is my number one area of interest as a coach. I salivate whenever I get my hands on a study that can provide deeper insights into this topic. Today, we will talk about some research on the show, and as always, I'll do my best to make it easy to understand without oversimplifying. This episode is brought to you by the Macro Master Program. This program was created to help you demystify macros, get really clear about how to calculate them for yourself, and to translate that into an actionable plan that is easy for you to follow. When you complete the Macro Master Program, you'll never have to wonder how much to eat, of what foods, and when to reach your goals. And with tools like our Advanced Calorie and Macro Calculator, you will be able to determine how to adjust your macros for training days versus rest days, and as your goals and training cycles change. Another helpful tool is our Meal Planning Generator. Just plug in your macros and it will translate those macros into an easy to follow and flexible meal plan. I designed this program as a way for you to finally take nutrition into your own hands for good. In less than seven days, you will have created a start to finish nutrition plan for yourself and have the tools to adjust it along the way. And with lifetime access, you can always revisit the program when you need to make a change to your nutrition in the future. To learn more about the program and apply, head on over to beyondmacros.com slash master. Today, we're going to talk about what it takes to stop yo-yo dieting and maintain your weight after weight loss. Most people would say the cards are stacked against you and that 90% of diets fail. But if you pay close attention, I will teach you the three keys to stop yo-yo dieting for good. So what does it take to achieve sustainable fat loss? There isn't one silver bullet answer. You have to approach it from many different angles. First, we need to understand what affects your motivation and emotions after you've lost the weight. Second, we need to understand what happens to your body after fat loss. And third, we need to understand how your environment shapes your actions. So answer this for me. While you were losing weight, did you find motivation in the scale moving down? I sure did, when I was going through a fat loss phase with my coach last year. And during the weight maintenance phase after fat loss, you no longer have that positive feedback from your scale. In fact, we see clients gain lean mass during weight maintenance both via muscle gain and a rehydration of their muscles. So, sometimes you have to be comfortable seeing the scale move up a little bit after weight loss. And that's an uncomfortable position to be in. For most people, seeing the scale move up is deflating. They think, why am I still putting this effort into tracking if the scale is moving up? If the scale is going to move up, I might as well eat what I want, right? And I totally get this mentality. I've been there. After losing 10 pounds for a race last year, I found maintaining that fat loss incredibly difficult. I snuck more snacks in and I made excuses that a few extra squares of chocolate here and there was okay. So I also realize why it's hard to accept that the small weight gain that occurs after weight loss is generally not fat mass. It's actually usually a combination of water, carbohydrate, and muscle. I also realize that this rationalization of what that weight gain is doesn't necessarily address the emotional side of things. And one of the most common things I see emotionally after a fat loss phase is that people felt restricted in some way, so they want to treat themselves. But when they do treat themselves, they feel bad. And the crazy thing about this is that feeling bad about your decision to cheat and beating yourself up actually makes you more likely to cheat again. This is an awful feedback loop of cheating and guilting. A 2007 study surveyed a group of college women to determine how they scored on a scale of restrictive eating and eating guilt. The researchers fed the women a donut and then presented them with a bowl of candy to eat from while watching a video. One group was given messages of self-compassion that everybody in the study was eating a donut and it's okay. And this message appeared to reduce the amount of candy that those women ate versus the group of guilty restricted eaters who didn't receive those same messages. I've seen this in practice with my clients. And this is another reason why working closely with a coach to help you maintain weight after weight loss is so important, especially if you tend to have trash inner talk or tendencies towards self-punishment. Your coach can help you just wipe the slate clean, shut down the guilt cycle, and help you regain perspective about how much progress you've already made. Then you can refocus, enjoy your indulgence for what it was, and get back on track the next meal. Now let's talk about what happens to your body after weight loss. I know parts of this section might sound nerdy, but it's critically important to understand. I've simplified the concepts, and I will make sure you know how to take action on them, so stay with me. When you lose fat, your brain sees this as a bad thing, even though your mind might love it when you just look in the mirror. Your fat cells release a hormone called leptin, which lets your brain know that your body has energy stored. And when your body has enough energy stored, your brain feels safe to let the rest of your body operate as usual. When your body operates as usual, you will have a normal daily energy expenditure. But when you lose fat, your brain might start feeling cut off from its safety blanket of energy that its buddy leptin has been communicating and evidence suggests your brain might tell your body to decrease its activity and to seek out easy calories by stimulating your appetite. There was a study that looked at women who dieted down for four months to lose a total of 12% of their body mass. This was actually about a 35 to 50% reduction of their total body fat mass. As you might be guessing, their brain probably felt a little bit lonely without leptin. And the study showed that the hormones leptin, T3, estrogen, and testosterone all dropped significantly. Within 14 to 20 weeks of eating their maintenance calories and doing less exercise, the women in the study saw most of their hormones recover. The exceptions were T3 and testosterone, which I'll discuss the significance of later. And because these hormones are all suppressed after a diet, it sets the stage for rapid weight regain after weight loss. This was helpful if the source of our next meal was uncertain, but it's quite unhelpful if you want to maintain your weight loss, hence the yo-yo diet effect. Here's an example. After you lose fat and leptin is lower than baseline, you might not feel full even after big meals. You might have that never-ending hunger or hanger as your body fights to restore the energy stores that it's used to. That is why we find that after you make your transformation, you need to lean on your nutrition coach even harder for support. Not only are you biochemically more likely to overeat, but mentally and emotionally you are more likely to overeat as well. To take it back to the diet and recovery study let's discuss one of the other hormones that didn't return back to baseline, T3. T3 is the active form of thyroid hormone that affects your body's metabolic rate, or how much energy it burns. When thyroid hormone is lower, your total energy expenditure is lower. So because your body has lower energy expenditure, you have less wiggle room for overeating. And if you're struggling to regulate your appetite for reasons ranging from emotional to hormonal, you're more prone to overeating, and that puts you in a tight spot. Luckily, I'm going to teach you a few easy habits to maintain your weight loss even in the face of down-regulated T3 and up-regulated appetite. One of the most important habits I have found is to consciously increase your non-exercise activity. This is anything you do that isn't, I'm putting on my workout clothes activities. But walking is the most common non-exercise activity. The best non-exercise activity is the one that is gonna reduce stress for you. The reason this is so important is that non-exercise energy expenditure goes down subconsciously after fat loss. Here's a story to highlight it. I had a client whose iPhone was spying on her, but not in the way you think. Her health app gave us insight into just how drastic the subconscious drop in activity is during and after fat loss. She hit a weight loss plateau after just two months, which usually doesn't happen until after month three of a fat loss plan. So I had her check her step count on the health app on her iPhone. Now, before she started her fat loss phase, she was walking an average of six to 7,000 steps per day. By the end of her second month, when she was wondering why her weight loss had slowed, her step count had dropped to under 2,000 steps per day. That's about as sedentary as you can get. Her highest impact habit at that point was to identify where she could insert more movement in her day. And I'm a huge fan of stacking functions, especially because too much to do is one of the biggest roadblocks and excuses I see people experience. Instead of getting more gym time in, which she didn't have time for, I discovered that she talked to her family members or friends on the phone daily. So we got her to plug in some headphones and take those conversations on a walk. This small change meant she hit over 8,000 steps per day and her rate of fat loss was restored. This habit also made weight maintenance dead simple for her. The other important thing I want to point out is that walking and connecting with her friends and family was a stress-reducing activity. Being constantly in a sympathetic nervous system state, working in a hospital, doing CrossFit, and driving meant she was always stressed. Stress hormones can have a negative feedback loop on thyroid hormone and sex hormones, which we discovered drop in females after a weight loss diet. So getting out of a constant sympathetic nervous system state is quite helpful to weight maintenance as well. The third and last major thing that I see as being a key to creating a sustainable transformation is the ability to control your environments. We are products of our environment, so home, work, and even travel environments should make the right choice the easy choice. I usually recommend clients start out by fixing the environments they either spend the most time in or are most likely to make poor decisions in. This might come as a surprise, but once clients get into a good meal prep routine and bring their own food to work, the office actually tends to be the easiest place for clients to stay on point. Home is where the vices are, especially if your significant other, flatmates, or kids aren't eating the same way as you. The best option in this case is to remove any foods that you are prone to overeating from your home environment. But if you live with other people, this isn't fully within your control, so it helps to open up conversations to see if you can get the rest of your cohabitants on board. If you can't remove vice foods right away, without flatmate friction, then the next best option is to make it harder for yourself to access those foods. It's also quite helpful to make sure you have the right food options prepared and convenient. There is some deep inner work you can do around engineering your environment for success. One of my favorites is having clients start to keep notes about the triggers and cues in their environment that signal cravings. Sometimes you have associations with a room, like your kitchen, which signals a craving for the easy calories in the pantry. People, times of day, and other habits that these cravings are anchored to are all other areas you can look at to uncover the clues about craving cues. You and your coach can then use the notes you've kept to create an action plan. You can use those notes to help you remove the triggers for unhealthy behaviors or work on changing your association with those triggers. For example, If your default pattern is to walk into the kitchen and go into the pantry, take everything out of your pantry that you can eat right away. You can also take it a step further and put a bunch of prepared, tasty food in your fridge. This will condition you to be let down by the pantry and rewarded by the fridge full of healthy, conveniently prepared meals. I need to know that you're going to take action on this information. So, tell me in your Instagram story and tag us at Beyond Macros to get this conversation started. Or message us on Instagram or through our website at beyondmacros.com to really just open up this conversation so that we can support you. And as a quick reminder, all of the concepts discussed in today's episode are baked into our coaching programs. But if you're keen to take nutrition into your own hands and understand how to make your own transformation that lasts for life, our Macro Master program opened up and it will teach you how to create a nutrition plan that makes the most sense for you in seven days or less. You can learn more about this new program at beyondmacros.com slash master. Thanks so much for listening. And make sure you subscribe for more episodes just like this. And while you're there, a five-star review and positive comments are always appreciated. Much love, Beyond Macros heroes. Keep shining.